Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked-up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the Cannon with Walter Wilder, drilling engineer, cracking oil and gas. And first, I actually have to give a shout out to my buddy up in Canada. He named his son, his, his first name, Wilder. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of it. And then when I saw your last name again, it made me think about it. I'm like, oh, that's my buddy Chad's son's name. And at first when he said, I mean, Chad's a little off the rocker and he listens to the podcast. So I can say whatever I want about him. I'll say his <laughs> face. But he was actually going to name his son Mowgli. And then he changed it to Wilder. So Mowgli. I like Wilder a little better, man. So, uh, yeah, I had, to, I had to throw that out there, man. <laughs> so shout out to Chad and Wilder. They're, they're a good, good group of dudes. So we met a little bit about a year ago. When we were doing those happy hours, right? It was at yep. Clutch. Yep, Clutch. Is that where it was? Over there when Hoppins and uh, Shane were putting those on still. Yeah, that was a good time. Those kind of fizzled away. Yeah, okay. I think, uh, I don't know if those guys got busy. I know Shane getting ready to be hitched here, Hoppins with his kids coming and whatnot. Yeah. Everybody got a little busy, but yeah. we've been talking about getting things started back up again. That'd be good, actually. So I had Hoppins on here last week, and okay. his episode will be dropping probably in a couple weeks. By the time this gets launched, it'll be already online, but... Man, I can't believe he's, I think he's going into to round three with the kiddos. Yep. So um, a shout out to him and taking that leap, man. I, I've got two and I don't know how the heck you could do three, but <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's like your whole life just drastically changes for the better. But yeah, the, the happy hours and the things like that, that we're typically used to doing, it's, you got to pick and choose, man. Cause like, it doesn't matter how hungover you are, or how much, you know, how shitty you feel the next day. Your kids are up and ready to get after it, man. So it's, yeah, you, you got to kind of plan your business accordingly. But anyway, I got, yeah, I got the idea to bring you on the show. Actually, Hoppins, we were bullshitting afterwards. I'm like, yeah, you know anyone who'd want to be on? He's like, man, you got to get Walter on there. And I was like, hell yeah. So that's why I hit you up, man. So I'm glad you took the opportunity. Sounds like I'm popping your cherry too with the podcast world. Yep. Eh? Yep. Nice. Yep. First one. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, we'll, uh, good. See if I get invitations after this one. <laughs> you never know, man. You might yeah. be a star after this. I don't know about that nonsense. <laughs> we'll see. Right. So are you a podcast guy? Are you familiar with them at all? Uh, so yeah, I've, I've listened to a few podcasts. Cool. Just recently more gotten into it. One, getting some recommendations from Hoppins, Bill Barry to check out your show. Appreciate that. Listen to, I guess what kind of got me kicked off on the podcast is old Jordan B. Peterson. Oh yeah, Jordan Peterson, dude. He's he's a very interesting character. I've tried reading a few of his books and it's, it's pretty deep and heavy and I'm not a good, I can barely read as it is. So let oh, yeah. alone reading this type of shit that he yep. puts out. But so tell me a little bit about that. You started listening to him a little bit? Yeah, so started listening to some of his podcasts, which a lot of them, I guess I, I started just working through it chronologically with the first ones that got posted. Yeah. There were several just lecture series that he had put on. And yeah. a few kind of discussions, some interviews like this he's done with other psychologists, whatnot. Yeah. And then uh, he did, I, I started getting into the meat of one of his lecture series that follows a book of his. And yeah, I can't imagine reading it. Because yeah. having him take the time to explain it to you <laughs> and walk out the thoughts, I'm still getting lost. Yeah. But it, interesting stuff. Yeah, no kidding. So has that always been something that you've been interested in psychology? I'd say a little bit. Yeah, I took a couple psychology courses in college just for some electives. Mm -hmm. And I thoroughly enjoyed them. Yeah. Thought they were a lot of fun, but... I didn't think they would provide the career that I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. So, ended yeah. Up, ended well, up where I'm at. Well, you know, it's it, interesting you say that, though. You know, you and I both in the drilling world, and we deal with some pretty interesting folks. So there's a lot of human psychology factor in dealing with 
you know, transferring information from, you know, the office. We set a plan in place. We put it on paper. It looks good. But to actually get guys at the rig who have a different background, maybe don't have the education, but are extremely intelligent in a different way, being able to handle those guys and, and relay information, get everyone on the same page. There's a huge psychology element to our business. And uh, I feel like the guys that are really successful are able to bridge that gap between, you know, geeked out office mode to dumb roughneck mode. Yep. And I say that because I was a dumb roughneck at one point and, and, and I still am. But, <laughs> but I, you know, having that experience and understanding, you know, how those folks operate is it's important. And if you can, like I said, bridge the gap, that, that actually plays out long. And it helps contribute to the success of the business and everything else. Those are my buddies there. For the listeners, that's Jake and Colin from uh, Digital Wildcatters are here, probably giving a tour and filming something to put on YouTube and all that bullshit. But <laughs> they do a hell of a job, so I got to give it up to those guys. Yeah, if you're interested in Digital Wildcatters, you know, um, if you're on LinkedIn, you've probably seen them, but they do a great job of what they're doing. So anyway, not to get sidetracked, but yeah, Jordan Peterson, I was trying to read the 12 rules of life. Yep. And I say trying, I'm, I'm, I'm slowly chugging my way through it, but uh, it's good, man. And when I was in Denver the other week, a friend of mine introduced me to a, probably one of the coolest apps that I've seen in a long time. It's called Blinks or Blinker, Blinkist. It's basically, it takes, you download the app, it's a subscription. And what they've done is they've made, they've summarized every book almost that you can think of into 15 minutes. And they have, they call them blinks. So like the first, they have like, you know, one to 12 blinks, they call mm -hmm. it. So I literally, I hate to say read, but I listened to summarized version of like three or four different books that otherwise I would have probably never read. So I've been like <laughs> crushing books left, right and center, but I don't know. It's hard to really get the full understanding, but you get yeah. the nuggets within about 15 minutes of listening to it of a book. So it's an abbreviated version mm -hmm. of a book. And so I'm excited. I literally downloaded it yesterday. I've listened to quote unquote, listen to three books so far. So yeah. if anyone out there has a hard time reading, you can do the cheat <laughs> method like me and just <laughs> read the summaries or listen to the summaries. But anyway, before we get going more about oil and gas and your yeah. story, let's take a little break. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and do me a huge favor. Take a few minutes to leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Any feedback is welcome and appreciated, good or bad. You know, I've had a lot of people that hit me up on LinkedIn and just, you know, tell me about, you know, sharing a story or giving me different, you know, tips or advice on things. And so I appreciate it. I'm always an open book. So hit me up if you ever have a question or any thoughts on anything. Love to hear from you. So Walter, man, what was life like for you before getting into oil and gas, before going to school? Tell me a little bit about your background, man, where you're from and, and how you got to where you're at. Yeah. So I grew up more or less around Houston, some of it in the Heights before it became hipster. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Back in the day when it was the still, OG uh, of the Heights. Oh yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. But ended up, family moved down to uh, the Clear Lake area right before I started high school. Okay. And parents have been down there ever since. Yeah, ended up, I was the youngest of five kids. Dang. So uh, I was pretty fortunate. Had my older brothers looking out for me. Yeah. So by the time I was getting ready to head to school, I followed two of them up to Texas Tech. Okay. Uh, they'd already bought a house, had a third bedroom. So yeah. I was a freshman living off campus, getting into way too much trouble yeah but it was a good time that that would be a blast go raiders huh yeah they had a hell of a run last year with basketball yeah yeah almost got the ship but not quite yeah probably good we didn't though because i think lubbock would have burned itself down i, to the I always say that would be, yeah if i'm interviewing someone I'm like yeah it's good thing lubbock's still around because they tore that place up there yeah that's wild 
Yeah. They so, like to get a little crazy. <laughs> That's all right. So how was your experience at Texas Tech, man? What'd you, what'd you go to school for? So I did uh, my undergrad in mechanical engineering. Oh, cool. Yeah. Had a good time with it. To be honest, I picked that because I had really no idea what I was going to do. Yeah. There's a solid chance I was going to go into some sort of like residential home building. That's what okay. my dad had done. Had experienced it. Yeah. But figured the engineering degree would give me opportunity to venture out of it. Yeah. Ended up doing a couple internships, one with Texas Petrochemical down on the southeast side of town. Yeah. Had a good time over there, but ended up that second or third summer getting an internship with ConocoPhillips down in South Texas. Oh, cool. In the drilling team. Oh, nice. And that just hit it off with the guys, had yeah. a good time with it and said, yep, this is what I want to do full time. Good for you, man. Was fortunate enough to get out of tech, come on full time with Conoco up in the Bakken. Okay. And been working Bakken ever since. So you were a drilling engineer with, with Conoco. How long were you there for? So with Conoco full time, let's see, that was February 13 till September 16. Okay. And then what? And then you went for, to Kraken after that? Yep. So what, why the transition? Just better opportunity or? No, actually Conoco, they let me go in that third round there. Mm. So had some time off and then yeah. uh, got the call from Miller to come in at Kraken. Okay. And honestly, it's been a, a great opportunity. Yeah. You know, going from, I mean, not to, to harp on Conoco, that was a great time there. I had an awesome drilling team I worked with. Yeah. But getting to go from that big company model yeah. down to a little operator that, you know, when I first started at Kraken, we had, I want to say I was like the 21st or 22nd person in the office. Oh, no kidding. So tight-knit group, fun to uh, come in, make things happen. Yeah. We didn't really have to cut through any red tape. We just got things done. Yeah. No, it's interesting you say that because a lot of guys, I have a buddy actually who uh, was a completions engineer at Conoco and then yeah. got laid off in the downturn. I don't know if you've ever ran across Keith Myers, but anyway, he got laid off, I think in, oh, 2000, maybe 13 or 14. Then he went on to the sales side. I thought he would knock it out of the park. He's like, oh, I'm a completions engineer with a petroleum engineering degree from Penn State. I'll walk into a customer's <laughs> office and they'll be, you know, Next thing you know, he's like, this shit sucks. He's like, I don't know how you do this. He's like, I get treated like crap, blah, blah, blah. And so it was, it was a real eye opener, but he was really appreciative of, of his time at ConocoPhillips to get the experience, to get the training. Because mm -hmm. uh, that's one thing those big operators do a great job of is, is set up a good training regimen, you know, the career path. It's, a, you know, they bounce people around. And, you know, I've got a customer that's a, it's a, one of the majors. And it's funny because a lot of them, you know, started working with Conoco right out of school. And they always ask me, you know, oh, like, so what, you know, because they know we have customers that are a little smaller. And so they're always just kind of picking my brain on, oh, how did they do things? And do they have like 15 people for three rigs? And, <laughs> you know, just little things like that. And, and it's just, it's, it's a different business model with different goals. And, and you know, so it, but, but it all, it makes it work. I mean, you know, a lot of those majors, you look at the stock market right now. And I think other than, than the top, the major four, majors and then some of the few large caps i mean their stock parks going stock prices are just dropping significantly which is kind of a sad part of the industry right now but the the, the majors do things well and, and the training and everything like that is is certainly kind of helps lay the fundamentals for for folks like yourself and like you know you get the training opportunities come up at smaller companies and yeah you're able to utilize that experience and then go in, in, in the neat thing that, that people tell me, and, and you can elaborate, is just the ability to make decisions and, and see the outcome sort of almost real time versus like, you know, you 
do meeting after meeting after meeting and you get input from 50 different people. Next thing you know, it's like the original meeting and the original plan is nothing like what you're executing. It's like, yep. what are we doing? So explain a little bit about, and it doesn't have to necessarily be conical, but just the culture and sort of that transition. You mentioned it a little bit, but what would be the biggest thing that you, you, you've gained, you gained from being at a large and then going to a smaller and maybe something for people out there that are young in their career that may be thinking about making a switch? Yeah. Well, you know, with, like, like you said, with Conoco, they've got the training in place. They've got the, the processes in place. So mm-hmm. I was able to come in, have the resources as a fresh mechanical grad yeah. to learn the ropes of the oil field. I actually got the opportunity to work a couple of rotations in North Dakota on a couple of drilling rigs. And nice. that's paid off huge, having that field time, being able to talk to my company men. Yeah. You know, haven't been there. Yeah. But being able to take that, come to Kraken small outfit you know it was just at the time my drilling manager and myself running the drilling operation and kind of figuring out okay what kind of progs do we want to give to the rig how do we want to uh, handle who's picking bits who's picking motors because you know conoco if i wanted to run a new bit it wasn't just me and my company man having a conversation i had to get supervisor approval yeah we'd hash it out in a team meeting it's like well i don't know if uh, those bit records are looking that good here cracking it's we get on the morning call well, what do you want to run yeah. yeah, I like it. Let's get her done. See how she does. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's one of the things I love about drilling in general, whether it's Conoco or, or cracking. Yeah. It's kind of that instant gratification yeah. when you do get it. Because if you want to try a new tool, you put it in the hole, see how she does. Yep. Goes well or nope, let's find another solution. Yeah. So it's been it's been fun over at cracking. And when I first started out, I actually got to wear a few extra hats. Cool. We had nobody working the regulatory side. So I got to come in, take over operations on one rig and handle all of regulatory for the drilling side. So putting permits together, talking with the state. And that was, uh, I'd say, a bit daunting at first. Yeah. But definitely helped me get a better idea of the drilling side of things. Because, you know, we're as a drilling engineer at Conoco, I had to be familiar with regulations and make sure we weren't, I guess, getting ourselves in trouble. Mm-hmm. But working the regulatory side of it, cracking and actually talking with the state, getting explanations on why we were doing certain things or why they were looking for, for certain stipulations from us. Yeah. It, it was a pretty cool experience. Cool. I'm glad though we did get a, uh, a regulatory analyst in house now. So that's taken quite a bit off <laughs> yeah. my plate. Nice. But to have an understanding of it, I'm sure you appreciate that side oh, of it a lot more. Right? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And that way when the rig does call and has a question about some step, I can actually speak on it fairly intelligently nice there you go and then that gives people confidence talking to you knowing that you've done it you've seen it you kind of got a good handle on it so no that that plays a lot of value (laughs) kraken it's whenever i hear the name kraken it makes me laugh because kraken actually it's a cool name first of all Mm. and i'm not sure where i got it but in my pantry i have a bottle of kraken spiced (laughs) rum and it's absolutely delicious and i've never seen it anywhere else i don't know where i got it but it's pretty cool, and uh, apparently it's a Caribbean spiced rum. Have you even tried it? Have I you have. Heard of it? Yeah, actually, you guys probably long. have bottles of it so, in your office. That's what I imagine. We do. That was the first time I walked <laughs> in the office. I look over, and on a cabinet, there's like five bottles of Kraken rum. Yeah, and I'm thinking, oh, all right, here yeah. we go. Yeah, this, this is, is where fun. it's at. Yeah. But then I found out that it's crude oil in the bottles. Oh I was no like, way! Oh, come on, guys. No I way. We're gonna be dipping into that. Yeah, that's pretty neat. So they put some crude oil in the Kraken rum bottle. Yep, yep. No way. Did a little decorating with it. Yeah, but, uh, that's pretty neat. Have you tried the? Kraken I have. Yeah, I have. It's pretty it's good. Goes good with Dr. Pepper. I'll okay, that. noted. That'll be my time. next drink. <laughs> It'll get you into some trouble, though. Yeah. <laughs> another story for another day. Mm-hmm. So, 
Kraken, they, they're, they're a pure play North Dakota, Bakken? Yep. Okay. Yep. So what makes, from your perspective, maybe just from a drilling side, mm-hmm. what makes the Bakken so attractive to, to drill so much there? Oh, man, that's a good question. So I guess with the Bakken, one of the things is it's kind of a double-edged sword is it's a pretty cookie-cutter development now. And yeah. Even when I came into it in Conoco, we weren't doing any kind of real exploration. It was, uh, hey, we've more or less figured this play out. We're, we're tweaking it now. Kraken, we have done more, I guess, exploratory work in a sense that we're out on the fringes of the core acreage. Ah, okay. So we've kind of branched out and had to tweak our, our well design a little bit and uh, more along the lines of completions production, though, is where we get some benefit that uh, we've made some changes compared to other operators. Yeah. But, you know, what's fun up there is we've gotten to a point where we're averaging... I'd say I think nine and a half days a well wow. right now with the drilling rig. Is that average two mile laterals? Yep. Yep. Two wow. mile laterals. No kidding. That's so phenomenal. It's a fast paced getting things done. I mean, I can hardly keep up with the rigs. <laughs> I bet. They uh there seems like they're moving to a new well or a new pad every other day. Right. Is it is is it hard for completions to keep up? No. No. So we've got a great completions team. Okay. Yeah, tell me a little bit. Those boys, they they crush it. I think I'm trying to think of what their last average was. Something like they're doing 16 stages a day Holy is what their average is. That, that's pretty good. I'm not a completions guy, so I have no idea. Yeah, so I had a vendor come in a while back to do a little, uh, I'd say, not a full lunch and learn, but kind of give their proposal, try and get in the door with our frack team, and I sat in on it. Yeah. And they were touting they're averaging 10, 11 stages a day. Okay. And they were just super happy about it. We said, well, we're getting like 15, 16 a day, so... <laughs> Sorry, fellas, you got to go back to the drawing board. Yeah, yeah. Let's see how we can get that number up. Come no on. kidding. Wow. So, what what separates your completions team apart from, say, that vendor or everyone else? Yeah, we've got one good leadership in the office. Yeah. Our completions VP. He's a extremely intelligent guy. He regularly makes me feel like a you know kid in elementary trying to understand what he's talking about. Kind right. Of like Peterson. Yeah. Is that does that Troy Kisner? Yes, sir. So yeah. I actually not to interrupt, but I tried getting him on the podcast, and I, I had dinner with him at the AD Casino night mm-hmm. last year. And his brother in law is Ross Hayes, who's a good buddy of mine. He used to be a drilling engineer at Alta Mesa, and now he's down in the, downtown at Paloma. Yep. But we all had dinner together, and I had Ross on the podcast, and he said, "You got to get Troy on there. You got to get Troy on there." So I hit him up a little bit back and forth. So if you talk to him, man, you got to tell him you were on this <laughs> and say, "Man, you got to get on there." So I'll, I'll put a plug in for you. Yeah, do it, man. Do it. He's a good dude, man. I had a blast with him he's super down to earth real nice but yeah i've heard he's sharp as hell oh yeah whenever he's finally caught on that when he comes to explain something to me he's got to dumb it down (laughs) yeah you know first couple times he'd come and say well what do you know about this and i say nothing bud yeah give it to me from the start yeah he would he'd explain all kinds of stuff to me yeah but then you know on the the field side we've got some completions consultants and a superintendent up there that are freaking rock stars cool and i'd say that in general, is what's made Kraken so successful. We've got some drilling consultants, some contract directional drillers that just, I mean, they they like making things happen. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to push on them from Houston mm-hmm. to get that performance up. They're all about performance, doing what's right for the company. And yeah. That's really what helps us be successful. Yeah, having a team that, that every individual is self-motivated and really is just pushing the envelope every single day and, and maintaining that, that level of intensity is certainly important. And that's one that's the cool thing about the smaller operators is, is they build a little knit, close-knit team, a little family, and everyone 
I mean, there's not eight phone calls to make things happen. And so it's just the efficiency there. It's, it's, it's neat to see it. What would, I mean, from a drilling perspective, or if you have any other thoughts on it, what, what's the future look like for the balking? I mean, are there any, are, are people doing anything different or trying to push the envelope going, you know, straight monobore? Is there anything kind of unique to the balking that, that, I mean, cause historically when I was up there, it was, you know, spud mud. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, you, you set casing and then you drill with old base mud through the curt or through the intermediate section. And you drill out with brine. I think it's been like that for a long time. Three string design. I mean, is there anything else happening nowadays that, that's different? Yeah. So uh, a couple vendors have started coming out with their inhibited brine system okay. in the uh, vertical and curve section. Ah, okay. We haven't given it a shot yet. I know some operators have been running it for, I think, several months now. Cool. And having really good success. Okay. Some of the the bit records I've seen come across in the intermediate section are outrageous. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking there. You know, if we can average over 400 foot an hour in our top vertical, we're pretty happy. Yeah. These guys, they're starting to do one bit vertical runs. And I think I saw something come up the other day that it was like a 19 bit hour run or it was it had to be less than that for eight thousand foot of vertical holy they're smoking it down bits are coming out green so they're getting it figured out yeah which i think the the main driver on that is eventually going to that monobore solution yeah which i'm still hesitant on myself sure i don't know if i've sold off on it just because when you consider if you did go full monobore in the bakken you're going to be running a five and a half tie back to surface yeah and one cementing up that lateral but also having to get cement placed up in your vertical for the zonal isolation across the Maori, whatnot, that's going to be a pretty interesting cement job, you know, sure. up in 20,000 feet. Yeah. But one day I, I imagine we'll get there. Yeah. But well, I know I'd say we're a few years off at least. I got you. There's, there's a couple other plays that I've been involved with. One in the DJ, they used to set, you know, it used to be three string design mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, it started off drilling with water base in the curve and then they would drill with back in the day it was synthetic because of the environmental things and so but now i mean we've got some rigs that we've got that are drilling a buddy of mine actually he's a vp of clear creek resources they're drilling one run twenty thousand foot wells monobore with old base mud right from surface like drilling the curve and the lateral and doing it in like eight days which is you know that's crazy to me like i've never i didn't know you could do vertical curve and lateral with one bha like that just seems to me like just the mechanic just the fundamentals don't make yeah. sense and it's all old base but yeah if you could do it with a clear brine you do it even faster and that's the one thing that's kind of unique is i know canada they've designed the mud companies up there have designed some unique technology utilizing different brines because a lot of it comes down to density and mm-hmm. so but you know matching getting what you need for density and obviously you've got the inhibition there but your bit life and that heat transfer and your ability to, you know, you essentially have, the goal is to have clear water at the suction to where you're drilling with just a clear, clear brine, essentially. Yeah, it, it, it's a game changer on the drilling side. And so I know in Canada, anytime they go into a well that's historically been old base mud, the first question is always, can we do this on brine? And just because the, the, the prize is huge. Like yep. they went from like, you know, 20 day wells down to like eight or nine. Like, and just quadrupling their ROPs in, in the lateral sections. So, yeah, I, I would say on the drilling side of things, if people can sort of, you know, get that technology down, logistics is a little different. But if, if yeah, if people can can capitalize on that, there's, there's a huge prize. And, I mean, we're all about, you know, deeper, faster, and cheaper, right? Yep. And so, 
Yeah, that's neat you say that. I heard some a little bit of chatter about that too. So it's interesting that you brought it up. But yeah, if people are doing it and getting some good data points with it, then you know they just get better at it, and then away you go. So that's pretty neat, man. So with drilling in the Bakken, I mean in the Permian, you always hear about like how many ducks there are because mm-hmm. there's just drilling so many. Is that a challenge for the Bakken? Do you know or? You know, I know when things were slowing down towards the end of fourteen and into fifteen, quite a few wells were getting ducked. Yeah, I think right now, I, I haven't looked at numbers recently to see how many wells are currently ducked. I think we're getting that number quite a bit lower okay. um, as frack prices came down with the slowdown. Yeah. People were able to keep frack crews working. I mean, the problem, you know, we, we personally crack and we don't duck wells. We're going to drill them. We're going to bring them online mm-hmm. and get that production rolling. So for us, we haven't really dealt with it too much. But yeah, I, I know there are a good number of duct wells up in up in the Bakken. Yeah, so it doesn't really, to me, it doesn't present the same type, type of challenge or or it's, it doesn't seem as much of a topic as it, as it is in the Permian. It was, I know there's the takeaway constraints in the Permian yep. or, or certainly have an effect, but are there takeaway issues up there? Not considerably. I mean, we do have some issues as far as infrastructure on uh gas pipeline, getting our gas captured, especially with the regulations that have been put in place for gas capture quotas with the state. Yeah. But the midstream companies, they are working hard to, to get as many wells tied in as possible. Okay. And then we did get, I guess, I wouldn't say hammered, but there was a time there towards the end of last year that, gosh, I think it was uh, quite a bit of oil was coming in from Canada, mm-hmm. taking up pipeline and train capacity. Okay. Where we had some issues getting oil to market, but that that worked itself out pretty quick okay cool cool everyone obviously knows when you go up into north dakota you're typically drilling the the bakken or three forks right i actually did an interview with the ceo of i think it's eagle corporation out of pennsylvania and they they were doing a bunch of seismic testing on the lodgepole reefs is that and this was probably close to a year ago now and they were looking for investors because they wanted to 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 go in there and start developing that and i guess there was a well drilled probably Oh shit, now I forget, but I think it was in the 90s and it was, I think, a vertical well and it came on at like 2,000 barrels a day. And you can look back at the news because I was sort of researching the area and kind of researching the formation. Have you caught wind of that that formation or are there any, I guess another question is, are there any other formations or plays that, that people are exploring now? Yeah, I haven't heard of too many being explored right this moment, but I know just from looking at old offset well records, for whenever we're doing like anti-collision reports on a on a pad, yeah, that there are quite a few wells that have been drilled in the Red River. God, what what are the other ones? The Reardon okay. used to have quite a few, and the Reardon, I love seeing those well plans because you know on the NDIC or MBOGC's GIS website, you'll see what looks like a lateral, and I'm like, up, oh, I got an old lateral, I'm gonna have to run across. Yeah, pull up the survey data, and it's like, nope, it was just a slant through the Reardon. It like, oh. like a TBD of about 8,500 feet, 8,000 feet. So yeah. we'll be well below it. Right. But yeah, quite a few old Reardon wells. I hadn't caught wind of anybody doing any tests in the lodge pole, though. I'm going to mm. have to look into that. Sure. Yeah. Like I said, if you if you go back, I think it was – here, I'll even look. If you ever have a few minutes, it's episode three with Jim Adams. He talks about it and some of the data that they were able to capture doing some seismic. So, yeah, if it's ever any interest to you, it's episode three. Pretty interesting. So, but anyway, so before we kind of wrap things up with some other questions, one more question with regards to to the Bakken, but what can operators do or or people do to kind of separate themselves? Because, I mean, right now it's such a, it's a volatile market. It's you know, it's cutthroat, pricing is mm-hmm. low, margins are low. 
what can companies like yourselves do to to kind of separate yourselves and to to, to remain competitive and, and profitable in the in the Bakken right now? You know, one thing I've seen, especially at Kraken, is not to say we don't try new technology, mm-hmm. but focusing on fundamentals. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like playing football in high school. Coach would be like, "All right, fundamentals of tackling, boys. Don't yeah. get fancy. Just focus on the basics. Yeah, know what you do, do it well." Kind of going hand in hand with that is just empowering your people in the field to make decisions. Yeah. Because when you can get your guys in the field to realize that, hey, they're making a difference, they're calling the shots, and they're impacting the company, mm-hmm. you see the motivation get turned around and, and they want to be the guy that's making things happen. Because, yeah. of course, we're a bunch of you know competitive guys. We like to be the best, number one, in what we do. Yeah. And when they know that it's on them to make it happen, yeah, they, they, they really come out ahead yeah no i can identify with that i mean i remember being in the field and you know oftentimes if there was some uncertainty on some operations you know as a mud engineer i'd call the office and hey you know what what do you think about this and they'd be like well let me answer your question with the question what do you want to do yeah and they'd be like okay well here's what i would do <laughs> and if i was as long as i could justify it you know and, and i would follow through with it yeah it, it, it kind of made me think holy cow like i'm actually contributing to the success of the operations so yeah i can i certainly agree with that if you can empower your people in the field to make decisions and, and follow through with them and, and be mature enough to say hey, if it if it you know screws up you know allow it to be a lesson but ultimately if i'm signing off on what you're doing you know the responsibility lies on me too but don't be afraid to make decisions you know what i'm saying it's like you know, just as long as you can justify it and, and calculate the risk a little bit as much as you can. And yeah, because if, if you're always relying on other people to make your decisions for you, you're never going to grow. Yep. And so, no, that that's cool, man. And I would expect that it doesn't only apply to you and in, in, in your company, man, in your field, folks, but it probably the same with your boss looks at you and he's like, make shit happen. Well, like, let's see what you got. Oh, right. And, and yeah, you kind of get put uh, put in the hot seat and it's like, OK, you know, I got this decision to make or I'm going to you know, perform this or do that. And, you know, whether it's a win or a lose, you're constantly learning and, and growing and, and building confidence too, yep. to, to be able to make decisions that are maybe a little more risky. So no, that's cool. You say that, man, it, company culture and, and having that is uh, certainly, you know, sets you up for success. So that's pretty neat. So kind of separate from the oil and gas side of things, I always kind of, I like to close out with a couple questions. One of them being, do you have any daily habits or routines that help you, you know, stay focused and motivated. And, and especially in the drilling world, it's it's not nine to five. It's yep. 24-7, 365. Christmas morning, you get a call, we're stuck or we're taking a kick. <laughs> you can't say, hey, you know, can this wait till tomorrow because I'm with my family having, you know, eggnog and rum. It's like you got to, you know, start making some critical decisions. So how do you how do you stay dialed in and motivated to just keep grinding every day? Oh, man, that's a good question. Coffee. <laughs> nice. Is, coffee. Uh, running through my veins. Yeah. yeah. I don't drink as much as I used to when I was working nights. Yeah. Yeah. But I make sure that coffee pot's set every night because <laughs> nice. if it's not when I get up, it's going to be a rough day. Yeah. But uh, nice. No, I mean, as far as routines, I don't know. I, I guess I've never really thought about my routines all that much. I try and get up at a reasonable time. Yeah. But, you know, those late night calls, they affect that sometimes. Sure. Every yep. now and then, though, my company men help me out. We had about a three-week spell where about 3.30 every Monday morning they are calling me. Oh, no. But, it's uh, a way to start the week? Oh, yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Oh. But, no, nah, I just I, I try to come in. First thing I usually do is go through my emails. Yeah. See uh, what I'm forgetting. Follow up on the last couple of days of people I forgot to get back with. <laughs> I hear you. And then I, I'll tell you, without my... This little smartphone in my pocket, I'd probably be lost. Right. Oh, dude. I run so much stuff off of that. Yeah. 
No kidding. We've become so dependent on our on our phones. And so are you like most engineers, like drilling engineers, they've got all their, you know, whether it's Payson or Corva or, you know, Mobilize, you got all that stuff on your phone and oh, you're yeah. constantly looking at it. And Yep, I've got RigWatch app on my phone. Hell, it's from, you know, right before I go to bed, I finally set it down. First thing I usually do when I get up is pull up RigWatch and see what's going on. Yep. Where yep. are we at? Yeah. From there, just pull up the daily drilling report and see what we got going on. Yeah. Just start making a list of the fires we got to put out that day. <laughs> no yeah. kidding. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you mentioned kind of sticking to the basics and doing the fundamentals, you know, doing those well. And it kind of sounds like that's your sort of recipe for success is coffee, stick to the basics, check your shit and, and you know, just stay engaged with your guys and keep everybody motivated to do the right thing. Yeah. So that's cool, man. Is there something about you that not many people know about? You got any good hidden secrets you'd like to unleash to the podcast world? Oh, man. It doesn't have to be embarrassing, but something unique. I mean, any interesting hobbies, any weird type of movies? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about weird movies. I guess one thing many people probably don't know, I'm a huge, so I'm new to podcasts, but audiobooks, man. Audiobooks, okay. Yeah. So back when I was working nights on uh, Precision 567, yeah, one of my Derek hands got me introduced to audiobooks. Yeah. Because he was driving up each hitch from Colorado up to North Dakota. Yeah. And he got tired of listening to the radio and yeah. then listening to music. So he started downloading audiobooks. Yeah. And he set me up with a couple. Cool. So now instead of, you know, I used to have a habit of turning the TV on or something if I was going to be folding laundry, yeah. cutting the grass, whatever. Yeah. And I just put that audiobook in. Almost like if you're going for a jog with music. Yeah. But I don't know, having something going on in my ear, some sort of background helps me just focus on the task I'm doing. Cool. Oddly enough, you think it'd distract you. Right. But yeah, our brains work interesting like that. You got any good recommendations for audiobooks? Any, oh, any ones that come to mind? I'd say depending on uh, what you, you like listening to or reading. Yeah. If you're at all into like kind of science fiction type stuff yeah check out brandon sanderson brandon sanderson okay i uh, did he's got some some excellent books out there fairly new author i mean he's been around for for several years now but he's uh been pumping out some novels okay and does excellent work aside from that i'm trying to think i've got so many downloaded <laughs> on my phone right now hey, i gotta run through that's the fine, list man you, you gave a good recommendation yeah. and you said it was science fiction you said yeah kind of a science fiction or almost like I say maybe Lord of the Rings kind of epics, yeah, you know, long stories. I like diving into a story. Cool. And Sanderson, he's, yeah, they they talk about Tolkien being like a world builder. Yeah. Sanderson's like a cosmos builder. Oh wow! Man, so are, are you a Star Wars guy then? A little bit, yeah. Okay, yeah. nice. So Disney, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. they're creating a. I think it's Disney, but it, it's kind of the competition to Game of Thrones. Okay. And apparently it's supposed to like, it, it's kind of like more like space and yep. like cosmos type stuff instead of being, you know, on in the, you know, in the world. And so I've heard people talk about it and that's some, some hype's getting built around that. So okay. uh, maybe something to keep an eye out for. Man, that's it. I want to mention some events that are coming up. So please take a moment and listen to the events. And here are the events on deck for August 2019. The Oil and Gas Conference, the 11th through the 14th at the Weston Denver downtown. SPE Subsea Well Intervention, 13th through the 15th at Galveston Island Convention Center in Galveston, Texas. Oilfield Helping Hands Summer Pistol Shoot, August 16th at the Texas Gun Club in Stafford, Texas. Uh, of course, Summer Napes coming up August 21st through 22nd at the George R. Brown Convention Center. 
here in Houston, Texas. The IADC Well Control Conference, which is the 27th through the 28th at a Moody Gardens Hotel in Galveston, Texas. Oil and Gas Happy Hour in Tanzania, August 23rd, 6 to 10 p.m. at the Best Western CBD Hotel in Dar el Salaam, Tanzania. A PGICE 2019 will be held 27th through the 30th at Hilton Buenos Aires Hotel in Buenos Aires, Argentina, held, of course, 27th through the 30th. U.S.-based Oils and Lubricants Summit that will be held the 28th through the 29th in New Orleans, Louisiana. And then, of course, the Denver Happy Hour, which will be launching August 29th in Denver, Colorado at Liberty Oil Services. Hope to see you there. Awesome. Thank you. I also want to mention the OKC Fin, Feather, and Fur, which will be happening Friday, October 11th at Heritage Place, Oklahoma City. It's relatively new for the Oklahoma region, so show them some love and go on the AEDE website or hit up Courtney Strang with Inwell for more details. Anyone out there interested in some oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old-timer hockey. We do it every two weeks here in Houston at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And if you're looking to get in shape for back to school or fall, or if you're just interested in some health coaching, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas, and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Thanks for listening to Oil & Gas Onshore. If you want more information, visit oilandgasonshore.com. And Walt, thanks again for joining me today, man. What's the best way for people to reach out or to get no, either know more about the company? Are you on LinkedIn, Instagram, MySpace? I mean, you know, what, what you got out there, buddy? Or are you a little bit more closed off to the world? Yeah, me, I'm not much of a social media guy. Hey, but, that's cool. Uh, what about Kraken, man? What if I put the link of Kraken Oil and Gas in the in the show notes and that way if people are interested in the, you know, what they're doing, yeah, check out definitely. the website? Yep, yeah, we got the website up and running. It's got some history there on our, our three principles that founded the company back in the day. Very cool. Well, would you mind sharing those? I never came yeah, across so, that. So uh, our three original guys is uh, Bruce Larson, okay, Brad Siddharth, and Matt Bowerschlag. Okay. Three great guys that put the put the team together. Very cool. Okay. Well, I'll put the link in the show notes. Everyone, thanks again for listening. And that's a wrap. Always remember, when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Ooh-wee. Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil & Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. <laughs>